Well, some of the most famous symbols, at least in our country, are representing colleges or professional sports teams. I mean, think about it. Think about our own university, Texas Tech. What are our symbols? What, 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 what represents Texas Tech? It's a masked rider, right? That's pretty cool. Guy, you know, masked rider on a black horse, one of the coolest entries in college football, right? You know, riding across the field with all that smoke. It's a cool, like powerful symbol. We got Raider Red. He's got guns like on each hip. That's pretty like cool and intimidating, right? Like it's a show of like strength and intimidation. But some other schools in our conference, I'm not sure are getting the message. Like Consider the, the Longhorn, right? Now, I'm sorry to my friends, the Thomases, okay? But the Longhorn just isn't gonna cut it, right? A, a, a Longhorn, what does it do? It stares at you, um, it eats like hay, and it gets slaughtered for cheeseburgers, okay? That's, that's the Longhorn, it's not very intimidating, right? What, what about the frogs? Like, what does a frog do? There's nothing intimidating about a frog. A frog pees in your hand, that, that's... that's that's no good. A frog does eat mosquitoes though. And that's, that's helpful. It's useful. That's practical. Okay. So, so we choose symbols to communicate something like intentionally. And here's what we're going to see today in Luke chapter 19. There, there's going to be two symbols chosen and they are going to reveal two very different aspects or visions of Jesus's identity and his ministry. Two symbols, one chosen by the crowd, one chosen by Jesus' followers that's going to represent who they believe Jesus to be and what they are expecting Jesus to do. But then Jesus is going to choose a completely different symbol that's going to communicate something totally different from what the crowd is expecting. Two different symbols. We're continuing our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter of the gospel of Luke today. And that's how we study the scripture here. Verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. And we're asking you to engage with us in our study of the gospel of Luke. Like not just in here, we want you to do that right now in this moment, like, like leaning forward on the edge of your seat, like diving into the word of God, opening our app, taking notes, going, filling in the blank with our notes as, as we go. Like engage here, but we don't want just you, you to engage here. We want you to engage with the gospel of Luke this week as we study these verses in our city groups, as we study these same verses in our daily devotionals this week, Monday through Friday, we have daily devotionals on the Bible study tab on our app. And then we're challenging you as a family to study the gospel of Luke together using the table talk. That's another Bible study resource under the Bible study tab on our app where families can get together and study the gospel of Luke together. Because right now your kids and our students are studying these exact same verses. Now we preach verse by verse here because we just believe that preaching verse by verse is more effective at producing healthier disciples of Jesus, deeper disciples of Jesus, more effective disciples of Jesus, more faithful, more steadfast, more generous disciples of Jesus, that our marriages will be richer as a result and that our kids will know what they believe and why they believe what they believe. And, and let me just kind of give you some behind the scenes, like, look at what our vision and what our, our heart is here at the City Church. We, we are 
praying that we might be a remnant people of God. And here's what we mean by a remnant. A remnant is a people that remain faithful to God's word and to his ways in spite of what the culture is doing or saying. The, the, the whole culture can be turning its back on God, his word, and his ways. And a remnant will say, we, we don't care what you're doing or what you're saying. We, we, we are broken for the direction you're going. But, but we, as for me and my house, as for us and our church, we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to follow the Lord. We're going to obey his word. We're going to submit ourselves to his word. We are going to remain faithful to God's word and to God's ways. That's what a remnant does. It remains faithful to God in spite of the direction the culture is going. And listen, I, I just believe that preaching verse by verse through the scripture so that you know what you believe and why you believe it so that you get the full counsel of the word of God, you get the full counsel of Jesus produces a remnant kind of people. Now, Mark says we need new chairs so that you can handle the teaching and the preaching that it takes to produce a remnant kind of people. Hey, if that's what we have to do, then that's what we gotta do. You're just not gonna ever find me, no matter how hard I try to go under 40 minutes, it never happens, okay? I plan for 40, I end up going 50. It's just the way that it is, okay? To produce a remnant, I just think that's what it takes, all right? So you're here, I guess that means you're in it with me. You wanna be a part of this remnant people. We're gonna study the word of God and Part of the reason why I can never do that, and that's never who I'll be, is, man, I love this. Like, I really love it. And I want you to love it. Because that's who the remnant is. It's a people who loves God and loves his word. And I get fired up, like, reading and studying and preaching this stuff. So that's who we are. That's where we're headed. Our hope in the gospel of Luke is that you're going to get to know Jesus. Paul said in Philippians chapter three, that knowing Jesus is so surpassingly greater than anything this world has to offer. There's nothing like getting to know Jesus. And so my hope, my prayer is that as we study the gospel of Luke, you're finding that to be true in your own life. That man, there is nothing better than knowing Jesus, than following Jesus. Jesus. A couple of weeks ago, Pastor Matt, our youth pastor, preached through the, the story of Jesus and Zacchaeus. And, 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 and Matt said that we did that on purpose because Pastor Matt lacks height. That's not the reason that, that Matt preached on Zacchaeus. It's the sovereignty of God. I don't know what to tell him, okay? Sorry, sorry, Pastor Matt. Last week, Brandon did a phenomenal job preaching on the parable of the 10 servants and being faithful stewards of the things that God has blessed us with. Today, and for the rest of our study of Luke, over the next two months, we are entering Passion Week. Now, obviously not on the church calendar, but in our study of the Gospel of Luke, we are starting Passion Week or Holy Week. And today, we're going to look at Palm Sunday, and we're going to see that maybe Palm Sunday actually isn't the best title for this day, for the launch of Passion Week. Now, not only is it the launch of Passion Week, but in Jesus's day, in this context, like in his time, this day that we're going to read about is the launch of another very important week, and that is Passover week. Passover week, where 
Scholars estimate that two million Jews would descend upon this region for Passover to celebrate and remember that the blood of a lamb that they wiped over their doorposts would save them from death and rescue them from slavery and bondage to their captors, the Egyptians. So that's the context. This is, this is Passover week. We're an entire nation. Two million Jews would pilgrim to Jerusalem to celebrate and remember this lamb and the blood that was shed by this lamb to rescue them from slavery to the Egyptians. So we're in Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 28. Would you stand in honor of the word of the Lord this morning? Ezra's gonna come and read for us. And as you stand, as he comes, I wanna remind you about what Jesus said about his word. Jesus told his disciples, you will always have my words. They will never pass away. And we believe Jesus at his word. He's God in the flesh. He proved that by rising from the grave that we would always have his word. So what we're reading today in the scripture is the word of God. And we believe that here at our church because Jesus said, we would always have his words. His words would never pass away. And so we believe, we trust in Jesus that he has gotten us his word today exactly the way that he wanted it, that he was faithful to his promise. And so here at our church, we believe this is the word of God. We don't stand over it and criticize it. We submit ourselves humbly underneath it and say, God, whatever your word says, that's true, that's right. We believe it, we trust it, and we adjust our lives accordingly. So let's remember that as we study the word this morning. Ezra, would you come? Good morning. My name is Ezra Trevino. I'm married to Annalisa Trevino, and we have a daughter, Azariah, who is five years old. My wife serves on City Kids, and in the past we have served on First Impressions. We are also a part of the Tatum uh, City Group. Let's read. After telling this story, Jesus went on toward Jerusalem, walking ahead of his disciples. As he came to the town of Bethphage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples ahead. Go into that village over there, he told them. As you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks, why are you untying that colt? Just say, the Lord needs it. So they went and found the colt, just as Jesus had said. And sure enough, as they were untying it, the owners asked them, why are you untying that colt? And the disciples simply replied, the Lord needs it. So they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments over it for him to ride on. As he rode along, the crowds spread out their garments on the road ahead of him. When he reached the place where the road started down, down the Mount of Olives, all of his followers began to shout and sing as they walked along, praising God for all the wonderful miracles they had seen. Blessings on the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. But some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, Teacher, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. He replied, if they kept quiet, the stones along the road would burst into cheers. But as soon as he came closer to Jerusalem and saw the city ahead, he began to weep. How wish today that you of all people would understand the way to peace, but now it is too late, and peace is hidden from your eyes. Before long, your enemies will build ramparts against your walls and circle you and close in on you from every side. They will crush you into the ground and your children with you. Your enemies will not leave a single stone in place because you did not recognize it when God visited you. Thank you, Ezra. You may be seated. 
So two symbols here that we're going to talk about, one the crowd chose and one that Jesus chose that are going to give us insight into the significance of what's happening here right now in this moment, that's going to give us insight into who Jesus is, what his ministry is like, what, what, what Jesus came to do, and what it's going to be like when Jesus returns one day. So, so two symbols that are going to give us insight into all of these things. Here's the first symbol. The first symbol is the symbol the crowds chose. And what was the symbol the crowds chose? It was the palms, the palm branches, these palm leaves. Now here's what's interesting. Luke, did you catch this? Luke doesn't mention the palms. The other gospel writers do, but, but Luke doesn't mention the palm branches. And this is an important omission. I believe it's on purpose. We're going to come back to this here in just a second. But, but Luke doesn't mention what the other gospel writers do, that the symbol the crowds chose for this moment to, to, to bring significance and, and to show their understanding of what's happening right now in this moment were the palm branches. Now, 150 years before Jesus a man named Judas Maccabeus led the Jewish people to victory over the Seleucid dynasty that ruled over them and oppressed them. After leading them to victory, crowds of Jews celebrated the victory by waving palm branches. To commemorate the victory, Judas, who was also called the hammer, now not, not Judas, the one who betrayed Jesus, right? This is 150 years before the time of Christ. Judas the hammer, that was his nickname, Maccabeus, Judas the hammer, he stamped an image of palm branches on their coins, on their currency, to symbolize this victory for the Jewish people over their oppressors. So that's where the palm branches come from. Now, 150 years later, right? Jesus is here. He's entering Jerusalem. When the Jewish people are now, 150 years later, under foreign rule again by the Romans, they wave their palms in the air and they wave them like they just don't care. I'm glad you laughed at that. All right. 930 to two. It's encouraging to me. <laughs> so they're waving their palms in the air. They're shouting Hosanna, which means save us now. And they're laying their garments down on the road as an act of homage, saying, you're our king. This is, this is a traditional act of homage. You would lay your garments down on the road for, Jesus, or for the king to walk over on their way to their coronation. And so they're laying their garments down in an act of homage, saying, you're our king. We're your people. You are our king. They're saying something to Jesus here with the waving of those palm branches, though. Here's what they're saying. Here's what you got to understand. They're waving those palm branches. Save us now. Hosanna, save us now. Waving their palm branches. And here's what they're saying. Rescue us now like Judas did with his hammer. You've got to catch this. This is the, 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 palm, the significance of the palm branch. They're, they're waving it saying, rescue us now. Hosanna, save us now with their palm branches, just like Judas did with his hammer. This is what's in their minds as they're waving the palm branches. This is what they're saying to Jesus. You see, they believe they're headed to a coronation, not a crucifixion. That's what the waving of the palm branch in the air, like they just don't care. That's what it means. They think they're headed to a coronation. 
and that Jesus is going to save them just like Judas did with his hammer, with his sword, with power, with might, with strength. This is the expectation in their minds. But Jesus has a different rescue to accomplish, doesn't he? And his rescue isn't going to happen with a hammer. It's not going to happen with a sword. It's not going to happen with a political position. His rescue is going to take place with the cross. Jesus is going to win by dying, by laying his life down. The crowds wanted deliverance from Rome, but Jesus, remember it's Passover week, Jesus is coming to deliver them from the power of sin, from slavery to sin, from death. Jesus has a different rescue mission in mind. So watch this. The primary symbol for this day to this day is what? The palm branch. It was what what the crowds chose. It wasn't what Jesus chose. And Luke, most scholars believe, and I, I happen to agree with this, Luke intentionally leaves out the palm branches because of its symbol, its tie to Jewish nationalism. And Luke, on purpose, emphasizes the symbol that Jesus chose. And so that's the second symbol we're going to talk about. The second symbol is the symbol that Jesus chose, and that's the donkey. Jesus chose a donkey to symbolize what kind of king he is and what mission he's really on. Now, if you're a prince, if you're a king, a prince that's headed to be coronated as king, you've got all the money, all the power, all the wealth, right, in the world. You've you've got all of it. What kind of vehicle are you going to choose to ride on to your coronation? How how many of you, I want to see a show of hands. How many of you would show up like in a G-Wagon? Anybody choosing the G-Wagon? Okay, nobody. Uh, Ferrari. Anybody Ferrari? Let me see your hands. Okay, some. All right. Lambo. Anybody choosing the Lambo? Okay, got some other hands. Uh, let's see. Porsche. Anybody choosing the Porsche? Okay, some of you just don't want to participate. You're like, I'm not raising my hand no matter what. You can say, you can. Uh, Escalade. Anybody in Escalade? Okay, a couple more. All right. Some of you just like, I'm not, I'm not raising my hand. I get it. All right. I get it. Okay. But how many of you, let's just see. Maybe you'll participate now. How many of you, you're, you're, you're a prince on your way to your coronation. You've got all the money, all the power, all the wealth. How many of you are choosing a Kia? Okay, nothing wrong with the Kia. It's just if you've got all the money in the world, you're probably not choosing a Kia, okay? A Ford Escort, anybody? No? Um, what else? A Toyota Camry, anybody? Yeah, not, not many of us. If you've got all the money in the world, a lot of us aren't choosing that kind of ride to ride to our coronation. What any Greco-Roman ruler in Jesus' day would choose to ride to their coronation would be a white warhorse, a very tall, very strong, very large white warhorse. Why? To communicate power, wealth, authority, sovereign rule. That's what any Greco-Roman ruler in Jesus's day would have chosen. It would have been a white war horse. What does Jesus choose? A donkey. 
It couldn't, it couldn't be more opposite from what they were expecting. It couldn't communicate a different message more clearly than the palm branch, what Jesus chose as a symbol to represent who he is and what his mission is couldn't be more opposite of a symbol than what the people chose to represent this day. All the gospels are clear. Jesus chose a symbol, a donkey, as a way for his people to make sense of his kingship, like what kind of king he was going to be. But it was the young donkey. <laughs> it wasn't even an adult donkey. It was, <laughs> it's like a cult. It's never been ridden. It's like a teenage donkey. He didn't go with the white war horse. He went with the donkey. He didn't go with the palm branch. He went with the donkey. And, and here's what was amazing about all of this. And it would have begun to click in the hearts and minds of some of his followers. It is that was, it was the fulfillment of a prophecy in Zechariah 9, verse 9, which says this, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, on a white war horse? No. Zechariah 9, 9 says this, He comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly, riding on a donkey, on a colt, the full of a donkey, not on a horse, not with palms in his hands, not with a hammer, not with a sword, not with an army, not with position, not with power, but on a donkey. They had waited for this moment. And, and, and so many of his followers are, 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 are probably getting it now. They're, they're saying, wait, this is the fulfillment of Zechariah 9, that, that the Messiah would enter Jerusalem on a donkey. And so now they're beginning maybe to get it. He's proclaiming himself as the Messiah. He, he's, he's embracing who we've longed for him to be, who we've expected for him to be. And so that they, they see him entering Jerusalem on a donkey, that, that he's showing himself, he's revealing himself to be the Messiah. And even in that, they're seeing what they want to see. You see, this happens so often when we take kind of our thoughts and our lives and our opinions and we read them into scripture and we start seeing what we want to see. That's called eisegesis, reading myself, reading I into the scripture and making it all about me. Exegesis is the total opposite. It's where you study the scripture verse by verse. You see what the Bible has to say and then you begin to change your life accordingly. They were seeing what they wanted to see. They didn't even stop to reflect that 
Jesus was picking a symbol, although it fulfilled prophecy, that this symbol emphasizes humility and lowliness instead of military strength. I mean, this choice of a donkey was a total catastrophic blow to this mindset, to this Jewish nationalistic expectation kind of mindset. And it is a catastrophic blow to any American Christian nationalist as well. that we serve a different kind of king that does not rule and reign with the hammer or with political position. He came on a donkey, revealing the kind of king that our king really is, a king who lays his life down sacrificially for his people. That's the kind of king that we serve. Jesus' choice of a donkey reveals he's a different kind of king, a king who serves his people. Well, the Pharisees aren't having any of this. They, they, they never are with Jesus, right? Uh, they're not having any of this. They, they, they see Jesus riding into Jerusalem on this donkey, the crowds waving their palm branches, communicating that, that he's about to be coronated as our king and set us free from Roman oppression. They, they, they see them laying their garments down on the road for him as the anointed one, the Messiah, the, the, the son of man. They're believing, they're, they're saying, hey, this is the son of man, Daniel 7, who's coming down from the clouds to dash the nations to pieces. That's what they're believing him to be. And the Pharisees see all this and they're like, Jesus, you got to rebuke your followers. And here's what they call Jesus. They call him teacher. It's, it's what anyone calls Jesus who doesn't want to submit to him as Lord of their life. They call him a good teacher. Sound familiar? People still do it in our day. Well, Jesus is a good teacher. Listen, he's not a good teacher. He claimed to be the son of God. He, he said, the father and I are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the father. He claimed to be God. So he's either a liar, he's a lunatic, or he's Lord. But there's no option for him just to be a good teacher. And so the Pharisees call him teacher. It's an address used for Jesus by those outside of his circle of followers who want something from Jesus but don't want to acknowledge him as Lord. And so they say, teacher, rebuke your disciples, rebuke your followers. The implication here is like, hey, you better do something quickly to diffuse this situation and all of this enthusiasm about you or you and your people are going to be guilty of blasphemy. What's the blasphemy they're going to be guilty of? Saying that Jesus is God. That's the blasphemy that they're about to be guilty of. That make no mistake, that's what's happening here. That, that's why the Pharisees are upset. Hey, rebuke your followers because they're committing blasphemy. And if you go along with this, you're guilty of blasphemy as well by going along with this idea that you're the anointed one, that you're the Messiah, that you're the son of God. So you got to get them to stop. And how does Jesus respond to it? Does he deny what they're saying about him? No, he, he does the total opposite. 
He couldn't throw more oil on this fire. He couldn't throw more gasoline on this fire if he tried. And, and, and this is like the last straw of like a hundred last straws, right, with the Pharisees. In Matthew 21, it, it says this, that, that the Pharisees say, do you hear what they're saying? And here's what Jesus and how Jesus responds. He quotes Psalm chapter eight. Hey, tell your followers to stop talking like this. And Matthew records Jesus quoting from Psalm chapter eight, which says this, out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. That Psalm, Psalm chapter eight opens with this, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. <laughs> That's God talking about God. And what Jesus does, Pharisees, hey, you got to get them to stop. You're going to be guilty of blasphemy. They're going to be guilty of blasphemy. You got to stop. Jesus quotes Psalm 8. Children out of the mouths of children, they will praise their God. <laughs> Jesus responds to their rebuke of Jesus with an even greater assertion that they were created to worship him. That's what he's saying. He's saying that psalm about the praise of children to God, that's about me. And that's what they're doing. These kids, these children of God are praising their God. That's what Jesus responds with. Luke says that Jesus responds to the Pharisees' rebuke of him by saying, if they don't praise me, basically, then the rocks will cry out in worship. <laughs> what? Jesus, again, Luke says that Jesus responds to their rebuke of him by saying, the rocks will start to cry out and worship their creator if they stop worshiping. That's how Jesus responds to their rebuke. Hey, these kids were made to praise their God. And if they don't, these rocks that I created, they're gonna start breaking out and worshiping their creator as well. You see, he couldn't have thrown more gas, more oil on the fire. And the Pharisees are fuming. Well, as Jesus rides closer and closer to Jerusalem, he starts weeping. Now, this has got to be odd for his followers, right? That they're, they're throwing a party, that they're, they're celebrating, they're waving their, their palm branches, and Jesus starts weeping. And his followers must have been like, bro, why are you upset? You're killing the vibe. Like, we're, we're having a party. Like, you're being a party pooper. Jesus gets close, closer to Jerusalem, he starts weeping. You see the Pharisees, Jerusalem, for the most part, even some of his followers, they, they don't understand something and it causes Jesus to weep. Jesus says here that they don't understand the way to peace. And so he weeps because they don't understand Jesus, the way to real peace. It's not that they're political issues aren't real. It's not that their economic issues aren't real. It's not that their oppression isn't a real 
problem. But the problem is their issues, their real, very troubling issues have distracted them from the truth, from their deepest need, from the biggest problem they have, for the biggest issue they have. And that is they are not at peace with God. They're enemies of God, Romans 5 says. And so Jesus is weeping because they don't understand, he says. Jerusalem, for the most part, does not understand the way to real peace. They believe that peace and prosperity are going to come through policy and their economy and through Jesus being coronated to this position of power and strength and, and, and might. But you see, the Hebrew understanding of the word peace, which carries on into the New Testament, is shalom. And shalom is, has, has an emphasis on peace with God that results in peace with each other. Shalom is right relationship between creature and creator and how that right relationship carries over and overflows into right relationship again between creature and creature. You see, shalom, this peace is peace with God. And that that peace is the necessary ingredient. It's the foundation. It's the cornerstone to any true peace. You see, the only way to peace with God and with each other is through the Prince of Peace. And Jesus looks at Jerusalem and he says, they don't get it. They don't get the way to real peace. And he sees that he's going to be rejected. He sees that they're going to kill him at the end of this week. He, he sees 40 years into the future here at the end of Luke chapter 19. And he prophesies about a day that a military will come in and totally wipe them out and destroy their temple. He was prophesying what would happen in AD 70 when Rome would come in, completely wipe out Jerusalem, destroy their temple, and it would happen just as Jesus said. And Jesus said that that's going to happen in AD 70, that this occupying government is gonna come in and totally wipe them out and destroy their temple. And Jesus says here in Luke chapter 19, that's going to happen because, you gotta catch this, because Jerusalem, Israel, on the whole, did not see or recognize the day of God's visitation and they rejected God's Messiah. Now, here's what we cannot do with this. We can't extrapolate from this and say that every catastrophe that happens in your family or in our city or in our nation or in another nation is the direct result of sin, that it's the wrath and judgment of God because of something this nation is choosing to do. We can't say that. It may be, but it, it, it might not be. But here's what we do know. All catastrophe, whether man-made or nature, is the result of sin. That this world has been broken by our sin. That the earth, the Bible says, has even been cursed because of our sin. That relationships between one another and therefore nations have been cursed and broken because of sin. And so what we can't do is extrapolate from this and say that every time catastrophe happens, it's the direct result of the wrath and judgment of God. But what we can do right here in Luke chapter 19 is say that what happened in AD 70, and this may sound harsh, is the direct result 
of this nation in this day, in this time, rejecting their Messiah. The day of God's visitation. Jesus tells us that right here. Now, what will end up happening for 2,000 years is that this nation and these people will be scattered all over the face of the earth and they will suffer greatly at the hands of very, very evil people and rulers. Again, we can't say, well, it's because of this happened or this happened or this happened that 2,000 years of suffering and scattering have happened. We, we don't know. We do know because Jesus tells us in Luke chapter 19 that what happens in AD 70 is a direct result of their rejection of God's son as their Messiah. But the truth remains that for nearly 2,000 years, the nation state of Israel is no more. Until 1948, when in one day, the nation of Israel was born again. Ezekiel actually prophesied that this day would happen. Ezekiel said, we can't get into all of this right now, but Ezekiel would say, how could a nation be born in a day and yet it would happen? In 1948, the nation of Israel, the nation state of Israel would be born like literally in a day. And the prophets would say this, that the same generation that sees the nation of Israel born in a day, which happened in 1948, that that same generation would see the return of Christ. Many theologians believe that what happened in 1948 when, when the nation of Israel became a nation state once again was like the beginning of a clock. And that the same generation, 70, 80, 90, 100, who knows? But many theologians believe the same generation that saw that day will see the return of Christ. So Jesus, back to Luke 19, he's riding, he sees the nation of Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem, he begins to weep because they don't understand, they don't understand the way of peace. He sees that they're going to reject him, that they're going to crucify him. He sees all of this happening and he weeps and he makes this pronouncement on Jerusalem. He says, it's too late for you. It's too late. And now, do you see what Jesus said? Peace is hidden from their eyes so that they can't even see their salvation. Here's what this means. The longer that you resist God's invitation to follow him, the blinder you become. And one day, Romans 1 says that he turns you over to your sin. He turns you over to your rebellion which is the absolute worst judgment and wrath and discipline that God has. To turn you over to your sin and to your rebellion means that he's done with you. Just like he would say about Jerusalem right now. You've resisted, you've rebelled, you haven't listened to me. And now, do you see what Jesus said? It's too late. It's too late. He turned them over to their sin, to their rebellion, to their pride. It's too late. And now peace is hidden from you and you can't even see it. Jesus is indicating that Jerusalem's failure to recognize the significance of right now of Jesus' advent, his coming to their gates has reached a point of no return. That their lack of openness to the work and word of God has resulted in their inability to see their own salvation. 
And so here's my prayer right now is that through the Holy Spirit of God, you are seeing right now not only the way to peace with God through Jesus, but that you're seeing the heart of God. Because here's what our culture wants to tell us. Here's what our culture is preaching to us every single day that you've got to free yourself from God and from his rules and from his ways. You've got to set yourself free from God if you really want to know peace and joy and satisfaction. That's what our culture's preaching to us every day, that God's trying to trap you into some laws to steal your joy. But here's what I'm praying. You're seeing by the power of the Holy Spirit right now in this moment that the way to peace is only through Jesus. And as you see Jesus weeping over his people's rejection of him in the way to true peace, you're seeing the heart of God that he wants to set you free and give you peace and joy that is everlasting. That's the heart of God for you. And so my prayer is that right now, even in this moment, you're seeing, you're understanding by the power of the Holy Spirit. You can't see it otherwise. That you're seeing the way to peace. That you're seeing the heart of God. Palm Sunday. Maybe it's not the best title. Maybe we should call it Donkey Sunday. Doesn't have the same ring to it, does it? It's probably why we went with Palm Sunday. Donkey Sunday just doesn't have the same ring to it. Doesn't sound as good. Regardless of what you call it, it's Holy Sunday. It's the beginning of Passion Week. And Holy Sunday points to a second coming of Jesus. When he will come down from heaven to Jerusalem, not on a donkey, but on a white war horse to rule of king, as king of kings and lord of lords. You see, right now we're in a season, an age of kindness, of tolerance, where this king who rode a donkey, revealing the kind of king that he is, has given you and I a, a season of mercy, of grace, of patience. It's the season of the age of the donkey, if you will. Paul says it like this in Romans 2. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. It's the king who sits on a donkey showing his humility, his serving even of his enemies. It's that, that humble servant who would sacrifice his life for us. It's, it's, that, it's that kindness, it's that patience, it's that mercy that we see in that king on the donkey. It, it leads us, it softens our heart, Paul says, in, hearts and Paul says in Romans 2, and it leads us to repentance. But this day of tolerance, the day of patience, this age of the donkey, it's going to end. It's gonna end. The day of tolerance will end, and when it does, the King of Kings, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, will not be the King who rode into Jerusalem on the humble donkey of Luke 19. He will be the King who returns on a white war horse this time from Revelation chapter 19. So here's the big idea today. Jesus entered Jerusalem the first time low and on a donkey, but he's going to return on a horse 
from on high. And this day, Palm Sunday, Donkey Sunday, points to this day. Revelation 19, when Jesus will return as King of Kings and Lord of Lords on the white war horse that his people were expecting him to ride on the first time. But Jesus said, that's not the kind of king I am because the only way to peace with God is that I'm gonna come and humbly die in your place for your sin as that sacrificial lamb, Passover week, remember? as that sacrificial lamb whose blood will be shed for you that death might pass over you if you will take the blood of the lamb and say, Jesus, I'm trusting in your payment of my fine through your death on the cross. You see, we live in the age of the donkey. We're, we're a donkey people. Now, if you're Republican or Democrat, you gotta throw those symbols out the window, all right? That's not what we're talking about. We're, we're in the age of the donkey. We're, we're, we're a donkey kind of people, but at the exact same time, we point to and preach about the age of the palm and the white war horse that is coming soon. You see, we're a both and kind of people. We're grace and truth. John said about Jesus, he was full of grace and truth. And that's the kind of people that we long to be and that we're praying that the Holy Spirit will produce inside of us a people of compassion, the donkey people, but a people of truth, the palm people, the white war horse people. That, that, that day is coming. We're, we're a people of both and we're a donkey people, that, that speaks to our attitude, our approach to a culture who rejects us. But we preach a kingdom truth. We, we, we preach palm truth. We, we, we preach white war horse truth. Grace and truth, compassion and conviction. Approach and message. This is the kind of people we are. And this is what Palm Donkey Sunday is all about. The second coming is the beginning of the age of the palm, the age of the horse. But it's the end of the day of salvation. The second coming is the end of the day of patience. The second coming is the end of the day of tolerance. Now is the time. Now, the Bible says, is the day of the Lord's favor. Today is the day of salvation. Don't risk meeting Jesus, King Jesus, on the white war horse because you rejected him on the donkey. In other words, don't let the donkey fool you. Don't reject him in the day of his kindness and his mercy because that day is coming to an end. Jesus now is saying like, I'm your king. I'm a different kind of king. I laid down my life for you. I, I'm showing that by the vehicle, the symbol that I chose, this donkey, I'm on my way to die for you. I am your Passover lamb. I'm gonna shed my blood so that your sins might be forgiven and your treason against the true king might be forgotten. I'm holding out amnesty, peace 
for you. And anyone who comes, I will receive you and I will forgive your sin and declare you righteous with my own righteousness. And I will fold you into my redeemed people. You will become a child of God and you will live forever with ever increasing joy. And just hear Jesus saying to you, like he said about Jerusalem to that day, if you had only known on this day, the day of peace, if you'd only known what would really bring you peace, I pray that today you would know through the power of the Holy Spirit what will really bring you peace, that you might know the way of peace. Jerusalem, for the most part, Jesus said, missed their moment. They didn't understand that peace with God is not possible for those who reject Jesus. Don't miss your moment. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for this word. God, for all the truth and grace and mercy that it communicates to us all at the exact same time. And, and God, I pray that right now, if there's anyone here and they've, they've never given their life to Jesus, they would not miss this moment, that they wouldn't meet you on the day you're on your horse, having rejected you in this season, this age of grace and mercy represented by the donkey. And so right now, just right where you're at, heads bowed, eyes closed, maybe you're here today and you've been rejecting, giving your life to Jesus. You've been rebelling against God. Maybe you've been thinking that you could be a good enough person to be made right with God, to have peace with God. The Bible says salvation is not a reward for the good things that we've done. Good people don't go to heaven. Good people don't have peace with God. The Bible says until the day you give your life to Jesus, you're an enemy of God, not a child of God. And so today is your day to humble yourself, repent of your sin and give your life to Jesus. And if that's you, would you jump on our app? Let us know that you're committing your life to Christ today. We'd love to get in touch with you and celebrate that decision with you and point you in the right direction from here. But God, I, I pray for us as a church right now that we would be a both and kind of people, a, a, a donkey people that are filled with love and compassion and mercy and we bless and serve even our enemies all the while preaching the truth of the kingdom of God about the day of the palm, the day of the white war horse that is coming. God, let us be a people of compassion, anchored to conviction and conviction clothed in compassion. God, let us be those kinds of people, that kind of church, just like Jesus was. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we worship our King?